Welcome to the I Want to Like Whiskey podcast. Maybe you've had a bad experience with whiskey in the past or had very strong, neat spirit thrust upon you and surprisingly not enjoyed it. If so, then this is the conversation for you. I'm Rob Patchett, Global Whiskey Ambassador for the Cotswolds Distillery, and I'm joined by leading personalities in the drinks industry who agree that more people need to drink whiskey, but on their terms. We discuss whiskey cocktails, experiences, great people to follow in the industry, and how you can find your way into whiskey. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the I Want to Like Whiskey podcast. I am Rob, your host, and yet again we are joined by a very, very special guest. Before I do get to that guest, I just wanted to say a few words on we are working to have more of a regular schedule with regards to releasing podcasts and making sure that we uh, we keep keep everyone happy with what's coming out from the I Want to Like Whiskey podcast studios or my office as it's otherwise known. But uh, bear with us, there will be more exciting things to come. And in the meantime, I am joined today by TV presenter, journalist, author, and one half of, well, the lesser half of the coolest couple I've ever met, Mr. <laughs> Joel Harrison. <laughs> Thank you very much. I have to talk about my wife there. <laughs> I am indeed, I am indeed. Shout out to Vic and her yeah. awesomeness. Um, how are you, mate? Good to <laughs> yeah, see you. Yeah, good. Thank you, buddy. Uh, very good, actually. It's been a, a fun start to the year. Some great whiskies sampled, some great distilleries visited. And it's been, yeah, it's been a really nice entry to 2023. So I can't complain. Yeah. How about so in between, in between my intro and obviously if people have been living underneath a rock, could you, mm. uh, could you just introduce yourself? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Joel Harrison. I am a, an author, uh, predominantly writing about spirits, and within spirits, predominantly about whiskey. Although this is my latest book here, Sixty Second Cocktails, and um, uh, yeah, I've, I've been. <laughs> thank you very much. Been doing it for. I've been writing about whiskey for uh, uh, since about twenty. Hang on, got to remember this. F like t two thousand and seven. I think something like that, 2006, 2007. And, um, and you know, every day's a school day when it comes to writing about, about whiskey. I, I, I love to call myself, um, I don't use the word expert, but I don't like using it about myself, you know, because every day I'm learning something new. I pick up a, a book and I read it and a little bit more knowledge goes in. And I think, uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's the nice thing about this world of whiskey is there's so much to learn and so much to enjoy, which is great. Yeah, I mean, we I had Becky on the show and... Um... That was one thing that she said. She said, I don't like it when people refer to me as an expert because I'm still learning myself. And I think anyone that can say that they're an actual whiskey expert, they're lying to themselves. There's still just so much out there for people to learn. And, you know, the, the, the category is progressing at such a vast rate. I mean, if you've been writing about spirits since 2007, you must have seen such a change. I mean, just oh. just describe the landscape of what whiskey was back in 2007 versus today. That's such a that's such a good question because it was sort of everything was different, but everything was the same. And and, and what I mean by that is, the world of whiskey was just sort of emerging, I guess, sort of into what it is today in terms of it being kind of very single malt forward. I think when I started drinking. The global sales of Scotch whiskey, for example, were like 98% blend. 
and over the last sort of 15, 20 years, it's now like 94% blend or something. And that, that doesn't sound like a huge change, but what it means is the sales of single malts have, have, have really eaten away at a massive, massive category, which is uh, blended Scotch whiskey. And, and as a result, you've had so much more interest in single malts. Not only that, you've had so many more distilleries opening up. And I'm not just talking about Scotland. You know, the first time I went to... to to Scotland uh, to visit distilleries. I went to Isla and Kilcommon had just opened up. It didn't have whiskey at the time. And I think that had come off the back of Aaron opening up in the late 1990s or the mid 1990s really. And those were the sort of, those were the two new distilleries. There weren't other new distilleries, let alone the twinkle in the eye that was somewhere like, you know, Cavalan or somewhere like Cotswolds. You know, these were, these were, it was, Scotland was on the, the cusp of a renaissance which has has emanated around the world in terms of single malt distilling and new single malt distilleries and so i think for me that that that's probably the single biggest change was the number of of malt distilleries not just in scotland but globally since i started sort of getting into seriously into scotch professionally into scotch and the second one is is the breadth and, and depth of what's available and you know i think Back in the sort of early 2000s, you could buy single malt, but a majority of it was either big name distilleries or it was independent bottlings, you know, and, and nowadays pretty much every distillery will have a proprietary bottling available for purchase. And that's been a massive change, you know, a huge change. And I think uh, 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 for the better, of course, and, and, and being able to go out and try distilleries' own stocks of their own whiskies, I think is, is, is something that's a real pleasure. Yeah, and I also think that I remember back in 2000, I was, 2007, I was still behind the stick. So I was still making drinks and I, you know, so utilizing scotch and whiskey in drinks was mm. very, very linear with regards to you didn't touch the scotch when it came to mixing anything because um, you weren't really making many Rob Roy's or anything of that nature. Let's be completely honest. Um, yeah. I remember in 2007, no, I hadn't quite opened a pub yet. So I was still abroad, which meant that. Yeah, you had the likes of Ballantines and other blends that and Shivers and things like that that were in circulation. You might have had somebody come in and order Shivers and water because they used to work out at sea with the Navy or something like that. But you just didn't see it being used in things. I was on Instagram two minutes ago. A surprise, surprise. And, you know, you see the likes of Kilcommon being used in, in Bloody Marys and Smoky Whiskey in Bloody Marys and things like that. And it's just the utilisation of whiskey in alternative drinks today versus 2007 is massive it's absolutely massive it I completely agree and it's also that idea of you know the first time i ever went to the 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 isla whiskey festival that must have been 2008 i'm probably gonna say and it was a, you could get accommodation the week before you could get a place on the ferry the week before you know and now you go to these things and that there you have to book the year you know a year in advance you have to book you know your ferry a year in advance and, and you got to go and stand in you know hour-long queues to go and get your distillery only bottlings and all these sorts of things and that idea as well of I, I guess there's a positive and negative to this Rob that sort of sense of place the people that that the fact that people want to go and visit on a pilgrimage the whiskies that they are they have fallen in love with is a wonderful thing but equally at the same time you know it, it can overwhelm small rural environments <laughs> and yeah. when you've got that many people kind of queuing up but what is distilleries wherever they're found around the world whether it be a, a, an english single malt whether it be a you know japanese single malt they, they they tend to be 
agri you know, the, the, the basis of them, the nucleus of, of whiskey is it's an agricultural product. And because it's an agricultural product, it tends to come from the countryside in the same way that if you ever go down to Cognac or you go down to Armagnac and you see where those two kind of mark French brandies are made. It's it's a rural environment. It was a rural pursuit. Um, and and so, yeah, to see these distilleries growing up, you know, you go and see McCallum Distillery or you go to the, the, the Glenlivet Distillery. You know, these are big visitor centres with huge pools and huge attractions, but they're still in rural communities. And we have to remember that sometimes these these might end up on the world's best back bars, be used by the world's best bartenders. You might see a bottle of single malt on the back bar in Manhattan, but that was made in a farm community somewhere. <laughs> I think that's what's really interesting. It sort of taps into that agriturismo, um, mm. you know, spending as much time in Italy as I have, you know, agriturismo has always been a thing. You drive around and it was historically basically cellar doors where you could go and pump your own wine into whatever flagon you had available. And <laughs> yeah. then tourists cottoned onto that. And then all of a sudden you could, you could go and have a walk around and you could go to the cellar door and buy bottles as well as just yeah. take, you know, the free run juice and things like that. And I think whiskey took that and dialed it up to 11 you know with with regard i mean it's probably a cross pollination of that what happened in napa valley with regards to tourism in agricultural yep. areas where people could drive up to these iconic places and buy things that they couldn't get elsewhere and yeah we're just seeing this evolution of you know you can go anywhere now and there will be if it's not a whiskey distillery it's definitely a gin distillery and you can yep. go into whatever they deem as their cellar door and pick up a bottle of something that you might not be able to. You know, the world of distillery exclusives in 2007 might have been a very, very small circle of products, whereas today everybody's got distillery exclusive, everybody's mm. got small batch products, and so all of a sudden it's driving that impetus for people to come and visit them and learn. And I guess this is a very long-winded introduction to the fact that this podcast <laughs> is about I want to like whiskey, and I guess, you know, you and I, as always, have gone into a tangent. Mm -hmm. So... We'll go back to the very beginning, and I guess I'll say yeah. before you actually made it into a profession, Joel, what sparked your love of whiskey? Do you know, this is a question I get asked a lot, and, and it's, 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 it's a sort of relatively simple answer that was born completely out of circumstance. And the circumstance of the time was I had a job um, as an A&R man, so I worked for a major record label, and my job was to go around uh, mainly the UK, but also Europe, sometimes America. So sniffing out uh, unsigned artists of all, uh, you know, of all genres, really. But sort of my specialism was sort of guitar bands and, and singer songwriters and that kind of end of the end of the market. And that meant a lot of late nights. It meant a lot of going out to see bands play. And it could be, uh, you know, the night and day in the northern quarter in Manchester. It could be at the Bull and Gate in Kentish Town. You know, you, you never knew where you were going to end up on, on a night out. But if you were doing circuits of London, so sometimes you'd see three or four or five bands in a night play, you know, you'd get home, you'd be driving around, uh, so you wouldn't be drinking, and you'd get home and it would be relatively late and you'd want something to, to drink. And, you know, it's shared house at the time and um, most people had gone to bed because they had honest jobs, unlike me. And, uh, you know, I, I love, I've always been a big Real Ale fan. I, I, I grew up in the Cotswolds and, and, and a massive fan of some of the local ales. Uh, local to, to the Cotswolds Distillery. And, and But sometimes a, a bottle of real ale at night isn't what you want before you go to bed. No. You know, you don't really want to open a bottle of wine because there's no one to drink it with. So I started drinking Scotch whiskey, actually. And um, uh, and I bought a bottle. The first ever bottle I, I really remember buying and falling in love with was Balvenie Doublewood, 12-year-old. And I think I bought it in duty-free on a, oh, 
on the way back from the States or something like that. And, uh, and I would just have a little nip of that with a block of ice. And the great thing about it, Rob, was that you, you could drink as much or as little of it as you wanted because the bottle wasn't going to go off. It wasn't like opening a bottle of wine where you thought, oh, goodness me, you know, this needs to be finished in the next couple of days. So you could, the bottle, bottle of whiskey, you could take, you know, two weeks to drink it or two years to drink it. It didn't really matter. And then with the addition of ice, as you were sort of drinking it, the ice would melt and you'd just be left at the end with your little tumbler and this little slither of ice. And it was a really refreshing and kind of cleansing way to finish a, a, a dram of whiskey. So that's what got me into it. And then, um, you know, then as I was traveling and just understanding more about it, I, I just started to buy more and more bottles of whiskey and I ended up with a collection of what I thought was a lot which was five or six bottles and I started frequenting the original whiskey exchange shop in London Bridge which was around the corner from my house about a sort of 10-15 minute walk and that became a bit like I don't know if you've seen the film High Fidelity but it became oh, a bit like the, yeah it became a bit like the record store in High Fidelity for me it was sort of a, a hub a place to hang out and um, you know, real geeky in a nice way. You know, the staff super geeky, and we could all just sort of geek out, and they would introduce me to things I'd never heard of before. And again, this is it back in like two thousand and five, something like that, two thousand and six. And Alex, and was Al was Alex working there at that point? Yeah, Alex was there. Alex was there. Chris, would you say that Alex that was the Jack Black character of the whiskey uh, shop world? I mean, a one hundred percent in every in every way. That's the thing about Alex. <laughs> You know, and uh, completely. And then, you know, Sakinda's kind of the, 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 the Cusack character, isn't it? Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and so th and they would do something brilliant, which no one else really was doing at the time, which was they'd, they'd invite makers to come and, and uh, present their wares and host tastings. So people like Bill Lumsden would come down. And, and at that time, there was another a and guy, a guy called Neil Ridley. And Neil and I um, started hanging out together. He liked whiskey as well. Um, and then we started a, 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 a whiskey blog because we both found ourselves at the back of... So a and is a funny thing because you go and see all these bands play somewhere around the UK and, and you kind of hope, you hear an Arctic Monkeys demo, for example, and you think, I've got to go see this band play, they're amazing. And you kind of hope that you're the only person there because you want to be the person that discovers them and signs them. Equally, about 80 to 90% of the things you go and see are absolutely rubbish. <laughs> and so you've driven all the way to Wakefield or, you know, Mansfield, or you're in a working men's club in Leeds. And, and, you, and half of you thinks, God, if this band are rubbish, I really hope there's some people here I know. And when there are, you think, oh, thank goodness for that, because you can watch the first four songs and go, no, nah, it's not for us. And you go out for a beer or whatever. So uh, so Neil was one of those guys, and I used to hang out with him. And, and then uh, I found out he had a passion for whiskey, um, and uh, so we started a whiskey blog back in 2007 called caskstrength.net and there was nobody really of our age I was about 27 at the time and Neil was about 32 but there was nobody of our age really writing about about whiskey um, and certainly you know the, 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 the direction and attitude we took towards it was very much uh, as enthusiasts you know almost like writing a, a, a football fanzine or something like that yeah and honing our skills writing tasting notes and going to these events with with makers for the last kind of few years at the whiskey exchange and it really took off people started people started reading it um i don't know why but they did they liked it and you know we were getting sort of 80 90 000 people a month reading this this blog written by two kind of um uh, people who've never written about <laughs> anything outside of music, I think, in our in our lives before, but it seemed to hit it seemed to hit a bit of a zeitgeist and a bit of a it contextualised whiskey in a very different way, and then from that we just, we were asked to write for magazines and newspapers and whiskey magazine and 
and and but it took a long time before we were started we were sort of invited on press trips and, and so a lot of our early visits to distilleries and trips up to Scotland and Ireland we, we funded ourselves we, we we both went self-employed and became consultants into the music business and uh, and that gave us time to go and visit distilleries and we would we would do it I mean I remember again talking about Isla but 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 genuinely talking about Isla uh, Neil and I visited and people distillery workers would put us up on on their floor they'd say we read your blog do you want to come and stay you know we, we live in a farmhouse wow yeah we live in a farmhouse 15 minutes from the distillery and we've got you know we, we've got six bedrooms and two dogs and and you know come and have a couple of bedrooms each and it was like this is great and that for me was was what was so tangible about the world of whiskey was that it was so open and inviting and despite having all of these different kind of competing distilleries People spoke to each other. They shared knowledge. They shared information. They just their doors were always open, and that's the way that I learned. I learned at the coalface. I learned, you know, reading books, of course, and luminaries such as Charlie McLean, who's who's now a good friend. You know, back back in those days, reading his books or Michael Jackson or people like that. You know, Gavin Smith. That that the books they produced have been fantastically educational. But there's nothing better than going and actually walking around a distillery with the distillery manager. And these people, yeah. their doors. They want to give you their time and they want to give you their knowledge. And I think that's, again, it's one of the things that makes whiskey so uh, more than just a drink, Rob. It's more than just a drink. A hundred percent. And the thing is, as well, if you think about the evolution of, you know, you can't, it's it's more difficult today to rock up to Isla and actually get that capability of someone going, yes. oh, I'll put you up and yeah, come yeah. and have a walk around. You know, the, there is yeah. so much more of a global focus on, you know, regimented staff, uh, you know, writer trips and things like that. Whereas... With all evolutions, there is now a new wave of new distilleries that are begging people to come and visit them and learn about what they're doing. They're not on Isla anymore. Um, I mean, you know, on our doorstep, of course, there are English whiskey distilleries and there are 40 of them. And every single one of them is asking for people to come and learn a little bit more and contextualize what they're doing so people can understand. So it's not like when you listen to if you listen to you tell these stories of what was happening in Isla back in 07, you go, man, I'm never going to get to experience that it's just no. There is now a new wave of distilleries that want that want that attention and want that that interest and those people that genuinely are genuinely are invested in what people are doing. Absolutely, and I think the the other thing to sort of highlight there is when you turn up at distilleries, and it, it could be anywhere around the world. But if you find like-minded people, and and I I would say that the majority of people who work in the world of whiskey at distilleries in production or in marketing or whatever are genuinely passionate about it yeah. and when you sit down with those people and you start to have conversations or you show an interest it's paid back in spades because people are, people want to educate you know it's it's and not and the, the nice thing is is there's very few people i find in this business who want to preach they're, they're not there to, to, to tell you what's right or wrong they're there to genuinely educate and say look we make our whiskey this way these are our fermentation times these are our cut points these are our cask styles this is our spirit style that's not necessarily the the only way or the right way to do it that's why there's a distillery down the road that does it differently or a distillery up the road that does it differently and try them all it's a very broad church and one that is um it doesn't matter what denomination you cover it from people are just happy that you're in the church you know exactly so i will now name you the uh with, with regards to how you got into whiskey unfortunately millie milliken you are now demoted to number two because touring around the uk <laughs> looking at live bands and then having a dram when you get home is now officially the coolest way in which anyone has got into whiskey <laughs> on this podcast so congratulations on that joel commiserations thank millie. you very much Rob. sorry millie um yeah. i guess i i i guess within what we do here on this podcast is we try and give people a little bit more of an impetus to just take that first step 
And what I always say is, and I've said this on the last few podcasts, and I'll say it until I'm blue in the face, if gin had to be drank the way that whiskey is traditionally seen as being drank, which is neat, no one would drink no one would drink it. Mm-hmm. So with whiskey, it very much is a case of if you're taking those first steps, there's always a first yeah. step that everyone's taken, be it a JD and Coke, the traditional, you know, the number one way in which people, I think, actually get into whiskey is usually they've had a JD and Coke. But I guess the, that leads into the question of if you were going to advise someone on how to drink whiskey with regards to taking that first step, what style of whiskey drink would you advise people to take? Well, the first thing I would say is, is, is before you even discuss the style, I would just say forget everything that people want to tell you in that respect. Yeah. Because there is, despite everything I've just said about how open this business is, and I think that's from a production marketing standpoint, there's an element of, of, of whiskey aficionados who love the fact that it's complex and it's difficult to you know, it's difficult to drink and it's a bit of a challenge and it's just like that's absolute bullshit it's it's not mm. it should it shouldn't be and i think when you like anything in life you know when when you when you put barriers up around stuff it makes the people who are in the, in the middle feel very safe and protected and and like they've got some sort of knowledge uh, ownership over other people and it shouldn't be that way there should be it should be absolutely welcoming and absolutely accepting and you know there is uh, like I say the, the way I started drinking whiskey was in a tumbler with a block of ice and yeah. thankfully no one was around to tell me that was wrong because it isn't wrong <laughs> have you have you ever had a moment have you ever had a moment like that like say for instance I don't know you're you're in some obscure part of the world in an airport bar or something like that and you just you just want a whiskey on ice or something of that nature have you ever had anyone chime up and go you don't want to be doing that to that whiskey or yeah, something like that uh, absolutely and 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 actually sometimes you know hosting tastings which i do a lot of you, you nearly always get somebody in there who sort of knows better and you know uh, the best way to deal with those people is have little breaks and go and go and listen to them and sort of just sort of gently nod in their direction and, and maybe then stand up and put put them put them right in a polite way, but but whiskey. If you buy a bottle of whiskey, you can drink it however the hell you want to drink it. It's yeah. your bottle of whiskey, right? Hundred no, percent. Don't let anybody you know that that old adage. Oh, you know what goes best with a with a whiskey is more whiskey. It's like well, yeah, <laughs> but also I tell you what goes well with it: bitters and sugar. That goes really well with whiskey, and and, and, and soda water goes really well with whiskey. So ginger ale, it ginger, ginger ale. ale. And this is the thing, Rob. I think you know. I, I, I really like making whiskey cocktails at home. And actually, I, again, it's a bit like, you know, the sort of thing that chefs say, the better your ingredients, the better your dish is going to be. Yeah. And there are, I wouldn't necessarily always say, oh, do you know what, if you're going to make a highball, use a, you know, 38-year-old Scotch single malt, because it might not be appropriate for that. But I'll tell you what is really good, a Johnny Walker Black Label highball. It's a brilliant, brilliant drink, you know. But also, Johnny Walker Black Label in a glass on its own is a really good drink. In the same way that, um, you know, a Tamdu 18-year-old is absolutely wonderful on its own, but it's also great with a little dash of water because it just opens it up. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I will say, say this as well, Joel. You are the only... Last time I saw you in person, we were at the IWSC Awards dinner. and. Correct. The first, you were like, hey, Rob, how's it going? I was like, good, good. And you are like, should we go get a drink? I was like, yeah, absolutely. And you went, great, we'll go have some champagne and 40-year-old Balvenie. And I was like, that is a chaser <laughs> slash boiler maker <laughs> yeah. I can get behind. It's absolutely fine. And, but that's that's the thing for me is it's, it's I, I, you know, highball is a really good way to get into 
into drinking whiskey, but it's also quite a savoury, quite a dry drink. Um, and whiskey on its own tends to be very powerful, right? We're dealing with something that's 40% ABV minimum. So yeah. the first time that you pour whiskey into a glass, I've got a, a, a rather posh crystal cut nosing glass here, but it's just the one that happens oh, to be sitting nice, next to me. Don't, don't, let that, don't let that put you off accessibility. Um, you know, when you go to nose a whiskey for the first time, you're going to get alcohol. That's the first thing you're going to get out of it. And I think just letting people know that, it's like, like you just mentioned with gin. If you put neat gin into a glass and gave it to somebody to nose and drink, they'd be overwhelmed by it. And, yeah. and that's the, the thing with whiskey is, is it's, it's about finding a way, a route in. Like you don't give, like the first time, you, when you learn to drive, you don't learn to drive in a Ferrari, do you? You learn to drive in a, in a Vauxhall, or I did, in a Vauxhall Corsa or something like that. 100%, you know, because it's, exactly. It's about, you know, it's about, it's about the up, on-ramp or the up-ramp into these things. And, and you know, cask strength whiskey particularly is, is so difficult to drink. It, re- it really is. You know, my, I'm, I'm, my job is to assess whiskies for a living and i still find cast strength whiskies the older i get the less i the less i find cast strength whiskey appealing actually I, yeah i like a, i like more and more water in my whiskey as i get older because i want to appreciate the flavors that are hidden in it underneath the alcohol and it's you know it, it's like I'm a, I'm a fan of rock music and it's great to listen to rock music at 11 but it's also great to listen to rock music at eight on the dial you know it doesn't have to blow your ears off to be good um and sometimes you lose the subtlety I've had this conversation before. It's like, you know, whiskey is very much like music and you don't always want to listen to Slayer at at, at 7 a.m. in the morning. You might if that's the way you want to wake up. But sometimes, you know, what did I what did I compare? I compared like really old Isla age, old aged Isla Scotch to like those 1979 Led Zeppelin songs where, you know, like Moby Dick where they'd all go off stage yeah. and just leave John Bonham on stage to go off and do his own thing and there was layers there's and layers and layers to... <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, there's there's times and places for different styles of whiskey and I guess yeah. cask strength whiskey recently, I've seen that the only time it really ever works for someone initially as their, as their preferred dram is when they're at a whiskey festival and they might be on their 20th style of whiskey yeah. and so their palate is completely through, yeah. A, yeah exactly it's completely acclimated and they're ready to taste cast strength but yeah i've done staff trainings at 10 a.m giving people founders choice by the cotswolds and they've gone that has blown my head off and i'm like i'm not surprised that's yeah. a complete assault yeah. on your senses so yeah, yeah I, I guess there is a time and a place for all of these things so definitely i think when when coming at whiskey f- for the first time or looking to to, to grow your appreciation of whiskey just I mean, I would always advocate trying whiskey neat before you put it, uh, as in sort of naked, if you like, before putting it in cocktails, because you need to know what the base ingredient, yeah, what the what the personality and qualities that base ingredient are. But absolutely, water, ice, water and ice doesn't bother me if you want to put both in. And then if you want to turn it into a highball, you want to turn it into an old fashioned, you want to turn it into a sour, or you want to drink it neat, is entirely up to you. But you've got to assess the product first, and and you know. Rob, you'll have seen it happen. I'm sure it happens at the Cotswolds. You know, when whiskey makers are looking at their products, they don't look at them at cask strength. They look at them no. cut down to sometimes 20, 25, 30% ABV. Um, you know, water goes, because that's what it's all about. It's about the assessment of the quality underneath the alcohol, um, as well as the quality of the alcohol. So yeah, that, that would be my big tip, is just get yourself a good glass, get yourself a nosing glass, and learn to add water and or ice, and then just get into the layers and the complexity of it, and then you can do whatever you want with it, really. 
Exactly. If you've got a 40% whiskey, just think of that liquid in your glass as the number 40. And if you add the same amount of liquid in there, it's now all of a sudden the number 20. So all of a sudden you're just taking it down and making it more accessible because yeah. neat alcohol by and large, it can be really harsh. So, uh, do you know, I got yeah. sent some samples the other day that I had to cut down. They were about fifth. No, they were at 60, fifth, late 50s, early 60s percent ABV. And I had to cut them down to around about 40% ABV. And there is a, 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 a relatively simple mathematical equation to be able to do that if you're trying to do it from a scientific point of view. Um, but it was, it's amazing the amount of water you actually have to add. Huge amount of water that you have to add yeah. even to get something from 60% to 40%. And, and yeah, you're, when you're people, quite shocked When people are like using pipettes, you're like, That's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that might do a little bit, but it's not actually yeah. proofing it down any. Yeah, you, you more want yeah. a teaspoon or something like that. Uh, 100%. I tend to quite often use... Um, haven't got a bottle of mineral water here, but if I, if I'm in a bar or something and they don't have a jug or something, I just use the cap from the yeah. mineral water. Yeah, yeah, because I you do get, that you know, as well. a couple of caps of mineral water, and you know it's a ready-made little server, isn't it? And you can then you can then measure it. The other really good th- good tip, Rob, that I, I would give people is it's it's quite easy to drown a whiskey. Yes. With too much water, and if you've bought it at a bar, you don't want to do that. So a good thing to do is have a glass of water by your side, take a sip of the whiskey, take a sip of water, mix it around in your mouth, and then you'll get an idea of wow, how much water is too much water here. And if if you take a sort of sip of the same amount of whiskey as water, you think, oh, that's actually too much. I'll I'll dial back the amount of water. But that's another good way to that's a good tip. Mix it I like in the mouth, that. If you want to call it that, because then it saves you from you know if you spent eight, nine, ten pounds on a dram of something behind the bar and it's and, and you don't want to drown it and end up with something that just tastes like peaty water or, or oaky water. So, 2007, drinking yeah. Balvenie Double Wood over a yeah. slither of ice at three in the morning after getting in from an A&R That's it. run around. Yeah. Have you progressed that kickback? I just want to drink something that is really, really easy to drink. I still want whiskey in it, but it might not be a neat dram or a watered-down dram. So, I guess... Historically, I've called it a guilty pleasure serve, but I just don't believe in guilt, really. So I guess it's just something that is a bit more indulgent or a bit more unorthodox. Yeah. Have you got have yeah. you got a, a drink, a whiskey drink that you like that might not be a bit might be a bit against the grain? I guess I'm saying. Do you know the one that I have arguments with but some bartenders about because it's a divisive drink is the blood and sand, and you've wow, got to have yeah, okay controversial. It, it's 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 not a it's not a cocktail that is easy to make because you've got to have you got to have orange juice you've got to have whiskey you've got to have cherry liqueur um uh you know so there's it, it's pretty complicated but it uh, and vermouth but it's it's you know equal parts of all of those pretty much shaken up straight into a glass i think it's delicious i think it's delicious with peaty whiskey i think it's delicious with a maybe even a 50 50 mix of unpeated and peated whiskey just to give it that little bit of lift a little bit of elevation um so that's one if i can be really bothered to to to, to make something in a, you know, to I like the addition down. of the peaty whiskey because sometimes mm. orange juice can make things a little bit flabby and so yes. peaty whiskey kind of spikes its way through and elevates it yeah. a little bit more that's a really good tip um, and if you're really getting geeky about it because we're in the season now blood orange juice actually works best in it so freshly yes. squeezed blood orange juice I find works really good and then Great the vermouth the vermouth should be a should be a relatively boldish vermouth, like a you know Antica formula. Antica, yeah, big it. one. Just because it, it it plays it, but we're getting geeky now, right? And 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 I think you you can make that drink in in a number of ways. But I think if you're using something like Antica formula, if you're using freshly squeezed orange juice, um, if you're using a good rich uh, cherry liqueur, um, then you're then you're into something really quite special because 
it's almost like a Black Forest Gatto in a glass to some degree because you've got that kind of cherry and that smoky peaty note which almost mimics dark chocolate in a funny way. So that's a really nice, that's a real guilty pleasure of mine. And I've had a, a couple of bartenders I know love it and a couple of bartenders I know hate it. So it's quite It does a, split nice, the room with nice those nerdy bartenders, doesn't it? It does, it does. I've been drinking actually recently i love an old-fashioned but I, I can find an old-fashioned sometimes i went to, to i was in kentucky last year and i drank a lot of old-fashioned so i was a bit of old-fashioned it out but um i'm loving a, a manhattan at the moment really with the right whiskey yeah love a manhattan it's great what's your, um, what's your i'm always intrigued about manhattans because they're very very personal drinks yeah and it's down to the spec of the individual yeah, I, I can't. Yeah. I can't hear people that just go. This is the only spec for a Manhattan that's good, and it's like nah. no. And again, I, I like the addition of of the the, the uh, syrup from a jar of cherries. Yes, it goes, it, as as it is in an old fashioned, it just works really well. You know, just 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 uh, when you're making it, just a tiny little drizzle from from a teaspoon of a of a jar of of, of good maraschino cherries. And I think it it's worth noting as well. Our very, very dear friend, Mr. Hamish Denny. If anyone mm. ever wants to get into a whiskey by order of really great cocktails, be sure to Google homegrown cocktails out of homegrown Windsor. Cocktails. Hamish Denny, Joel and I are yeah. both endorsing him on this podcast that if you can, give him a shout and get some of his bottled cocktails because they are absolutely sensational. Uh, his Fig Old Fashioned is still one of my absolute oh. favourites. Yeah, yeah. And that's, so, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a massive Manhattan fan. It's it's an easy. Well, I find it a relatively easy drink to make in terms of like getting your ratios. Depends on the whiskey you're using, and it depends on the the red vermouth that you're using. But it's relatively easy to just get that balance right, and 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 it's a a quicker drink to make than an old fashioned. To the, the old fashioned historically should take a long time to sort of stir down. But talking of of homegrown cocktails and their fig old fashioned, I, I love an old fashioned, and I love the idea of being able to to play with an old fashioned a little bit. And yeah. I've got quite a, a decent selection of bitters at home. So um, is it? I think it's the Fee Brothers Black Walnut Bitters. I think it's oh, they're Fee good. Brothers. They are good. Or is yes. it Bitterman's? I can't remember. I think it's Fee Brothers Black Walnut Bitters. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. fantastic. And for those of you sort of tuning in that don't really know what bitters are, I guess they're. I mean, I always describe them as like the kind of the jewellery of uh, of the cocktail world. You know, it's, it's like your rings or your earrings or whatever. They just add that little bit of zing, your necklace or your watch. They just I always say it's the, the yeah. I always say it's the salt and pepper. It's the it's the proper oh, seasoning. There you go. It's yeah, the seasoning. It's the uplift. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so yeah. Uh, so making an old fashioned in the traditional way, sugar cube, bitters, uh, stir it down. Bit of water, keep stirring. Bit of water, keep stirring. Or bit of ice, keep stirring. Bit of ice, keep stirring. Bit of ice, keep stirring. Add the you know, add the whiskey, keep stirring, keep stirring, keep stirring, and just build it up very, very slowly um, is, is a great way to make a drink. I think it was, you know, you know, good friends with Nate Brown, aren't you? I think I know Nate, Nate, yeah, yeah. So Nate, who runs some bars, a guy called Nate Brown who runs some bars in London, used to have a bar called Merchant House in the city. And when you great ordered bar. an Old Fashioned, oh, it's brilliant. The first thing he'd do when you ordered an Old Fashioned was give you a, hand you a bottle of bottle of uh, beer because he was like right it's going to take this is going to take eight nine ten minutes to make so you might as well have a cold beer whilst you wait for it and that that idea of sort of stirring it down stirring it down now i do have a tip a trick and i'm just wondering if i've got some here yes maple syrup maple syrup in an old-fashioned absolutely incredible because the texture so non-smoky whiskey the texture and richness of a non-smoky uh, single malt uh, or even a bourbon used uh, traditionally a bourbon in, in, a, in an old fashioned. But add in for your sweetness 
So maple syrup, it requires less dilution and that unctuous, earthy sweetness that you get, which is really, really unique and, and, and atypical to, to, to um, uh, maple syrup, works so, so well with whiskey and, and, and any bitters, really. So that's, so that's yeah, a nice it, one that I, I like to make at home. That is a great tip. So uh, it hasn't been released yet, so um, I can tell you this story directly because uh, I was told it to Becky. I was at Whiskey Live the other week talking to a friend of mine. I won't name her name. Um, You'll appreciate this. She was talking about she had a bottle of Cotswolds, had a house party, end of the night, everyone scrambling around to make some sort of drink, and her friend came along and got a glass and did 50-50 Cotswolds whiskey with caramel syrup. And that kind of tipped me with regards to you can drink whiskey any way you want, but I think (laughs) with regards to that, that might be a touch too far. But... I am going to make it, I am going to drink it, and I am going to post it online just to sort of go, there are easier ways to get into whiskey than dousing it with 50-50 sugar syrup. Yeah, that's that's quite heavy. That yeah, is quite extreme. Bit, but going back to what you were saying, um, maple syrup for old fashions, amazing. I mean, basically, there are people like yourself, me, we don't mind making a sugar syrup at home, but there are people that just can't be bothered. And so... Yeah. If you've got lighter, brighter styles of whiskey, not always bourbons, agave syrup I found is actually pretty good as well. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So or- yeah. orange bitters agave syrup. Try it with Cotswold yeah. Signature. I always do, and um, mm-hmm. it does work. It's like a really orangey, bright, almost like you could have it in the middle of summer. So a little, like I say, a little bit of ango, nice. obviously. So Angostura yeah. bitters, orange bitters, teaspoon of agave syrup. Stir it down with a more brighter, fruitier style of whiskey. Sure. Super refreshing, really nice. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah, I'll, there you I'll go. give that a go. Yeah, good I'll man. Give that a go. Good nice. man. Okay, so um, we've actually surreptitiously, in the round way of how we've actually um, <laughs> structured our conversation, we've covered some pretty cool points, and we've actually covered everything that I wanted to discuss. Uh, are there any mixers out there with whiskey that you're really appreciating these days? Because obviously, the evolution of mixers has come a long way in the last five years. Um. There is a new product on the market that I really like, which is uh, an independent company in Scotland making something called Albacola, which mm-hmm. is a, uh, it comes in a black can. You can buy it in, uh, where did I pick it up recently? I think I picked it up in Waitrose, um, but it's also in some co-ops and some other bits. Black can, and it's like Coca-Cola. I'm going to describe it as pub Coke. Do you know that sort of type of Coke that you get in a pub from a gun that's a little yeah. bit... It's just a bit stronger than normal Coke. It's like yeah, sort of yeah, yeah. cask strength Coke sort of thing. <laughs> and it's, it's got this a lovely balance of herbs and spices in it. Um, and that with, with actually but with both peated and unpeated whiskey works, works really nicely. Cause it's, and it's just got a right level of sweetness to it as well to carry through, to ca- to carry through the flavours of, uh, of the cola and not kind of overpower the, the whiskey but uplift the whiskey and create a platform for, for, for whiskey to shine. That's my. That's been a, a discovery of, of late. But no, I mean, I, I I rarely drink whiskey long. If I'm honest, Rob. I mean, I do drink whiskey and ginger. That's a great drink. And I, and I drink highballs. Another great drink. But aside from that, my whiskey drinks don't tend to be that long in terms of. Their no, serve. I guess with you as well, Joel. You have. I mean, I've only heard through stories, but you do have access to some very very fine drams on your journey every day. So. Um, yeah, sometimes I guess having a, having a mixer is more of a garden occasion with friends as opposed to, uh, well, it's your job to not mix whiskey, I guess. 
Yeah, well, yeah. Well, no, I, I, I still really appreciate whiskey cocktails, but yes, I, you know, when it comes to assessment of, of whiskey, it, it, I tend to do that neat or neat with water. Yeah. Um, and and that's that's what's really important. And of course, you know, a dram at the end of the night is is, is a nice thing to do. But um, the other one that I've I've been drinking recently is is a penicillin. I'm a big fan of penicillin. Great drink. Um, Have you tried yeah. Star Wars ginger beer cask? I have, but not for a while. Yeah. That just to me tasted like an, uh, a penicillin that needed a bit of peated whiskey. Absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Um, but as yeah, soon no. as you add ice, it just sort of gets rid of all of the uh, all of the ginger in it. But that was really interesting. But yeah, a penicillin ginger as an ad- as an addition flavour to whiskey is absolutely sensational. Great drink. Mm-hmm. And if I was to drink uh, one of the Cotswolds Expressions with ginger, which would you recommend? Uh, what like um? I mean, the thing is, with drink. as a longer drink with ginger ale, I always say the signature. Um, okay. But then I also think the reserve, just because it's super fruity, it's got those apples and pear notes, and so it's quite it's quite good. Um, but then again, I'm a big fan, and I'm sure you are as well, of the old shaky peat. Yes. I know it's not okay, a whiskey yeah. drink, but there are variations, and I'm going to get Hamish to give me some specs. But there are variations you can do with whiskey um, and Guinness and things like that. So, just veering away for anyone that doesn't know the Shaky Pete, it's a it's um it's a drink that's been made famous at the Hawksmoor restaurants, in which it's actually gin, lemon, uh, ginger syrup, and then blended up with a little bit of ice and topped up with uh, an ale, like a blonde ale or a pale ale. Yeah. So it's kind of like the most amazing turbo shandy you've ever had but there are variations that you can have with stouts and with ale and with whiskey and with rum and things like that and i think there's a whole there's a whole dialogue around making those because they're a bit of a faff but they're totally worth it um, 2020 the summer of 2020 when we all got locked down and it was super hot shaky peats were a regular thing in our house oh nice with a nice sort of fruity ipa yeah 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 great drink great drink fantastic right so Going into the last section of the podcast, um, yeah. I have traditionally always called this punch-up section, which kind of confuses <laughs> people. But it's basically a platform. It's 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 a it's a little space of the podcast where if you want to talk about people that in the industry that people other people need to be aware of, places and products. Just basically, if there's anything that's really exciting you, anyone that's exciting you, or anywhere that's exciting you right now, and you really just want to talk about it and let people know about it, Joel Harrison, the floor is yours. It's a good question, Rob, and, and and for me, you know, there's the industry as a whole works as as a united front, as a real unit, and I'm one of the things that I'm loving at the moment is this idea that English whiskey is is unifying. You know, there's there is healthy competition in English whiskey, but everybody's also out there to support each other, and the coming together, for example, of of English whiskey distillers to look at regulation and look at putting in some. Um, concepts around what English whiskey means for the consumer so that it doesn't end up in a position that say Japanese whiskey's found itself in where yes. you know, you're not uh, you trust your producers in Japanese whiskey but you, you, you're never quite sure what's been in a bottle over the last sort of 20 years and thankfully the producers in Japan have come together and said okay let's try and put some regulation around this so that people know what it is they're, that they're getting so yeah. I think just celebrating the idea of clarity in that and, and I think the moment single malt whiskey or whiskey in general as a category, the quality that's coming through is absolutely first class. And is it different to when I started drinking whiskey kind of as a hobby 20 odd years ago and started writing about it professionally just under that? It is to some degree because 
the knowledge of production has got better and the knowledge of yeah. cask maturation has got better. Does that mean we've washed out some personality from it? I think in some aspects, yes. And, and some of the stuff that's been coming through recently uh, maybe is, would I say, overproduced or, or too diligently produced, perhaps. Yeah. And it's nice to see people going back to old style methods, going back to direct firing, going back to longer fermentation times, going back to uh, worm tubs and, and trying to produce something that's a little bit more unique and, and a bit more... Um, flavoursome and I think for me that's that's the big key at the moment is just saying the industry understands that it's a commercial product on the one end you know no one wants to take away from these huge big blends that's that keep the industry going across something like scotch or the big bourbon brands or emerging markets like English whiskey but you know it is all about the personality and character that comes from the distillery and I think um, you know if you look at Cotswolds it does that in spades it's, it's got a definite footprint it's got a definite DNA to the whiskey that is that is being produced there but it's it's for me sits perfectly in the canon of English whiskey because it's not trying to do what other people are doing you know there are other English whiskey distilleries with unique flavor profiles as well and I think that's what's really nice about it is that there's a real community coming through yeah because we do get asked quite a lot like at tastings and things like that so what do you like in regards to Scottish and it's like we're, we're, we're not like any of it really you know we're yeah. all trying to just solidify our own identity really um and so yeah i guess going back to your point originally english whiskey is definitely something that people need to take note of because it's not like other countries making whiskey where you might have one singular distillery way out front and then a few tiny little ones scattered around it there is a rising tide of many many english whiskies that are all worth your attention there's you know so yes we are doing very very well and we are very proud of what we've been able to achieve as the cotswolds distillery but let's not take away from how the lakes are doing how bimber are doing how east london liquor company english whiskey co filey bay you know that's that's six or seven named off the top of my head that are doing phenomenally well so yeah i agree i think there is a lot of scope for people to be able to enjoy a category as alone to a single distillery yeah yeah and I, I one of the things that pleases me at the moment is the way that bartenders and retailers are really understanding that and i think there if there is a link between producers and uh consumers it's the sort of triumvirate of retailers writers and bartenders and i think you have to you know retailers aren't going to stock stuff that doesn't sell yeah bartenders aren't going to put something in a glass that no one's going to like and writers journalists we're not going to write about things that aren't interesting or help to amplify things that aren't of good quality and when you look around and you visit a visit a, you know a decent whiskey bar or a decent bar these days there is a selection of world whiskey there and a selection of whiskey that celebrates the diversity of whiskey and that could be you know it could be the rise of bourbon it could or the, or the, the, the better interest that's in bourbon these days it could be english whiskey it could be the growth of Irish whiskey, it could be these incredible new kind of Scottish single malts that are coming through, or even blends. And they're there for a reason. They're there because the person who's presenting them, be that the retailer or be that the bartender or be it the writer who's writing about them, trusts the quality of them and wants to amplify the quality of them. And for me, that that just shows what rude health the whiskey industry is in, in terms of its selection i don't think has ever been greater i don't think the quality has ever been greater i don't think the opportunity to try interesting flavors has ever been greater i don't think the innovation in terms of cask maturation distillation fermentation you know blending has ever been more interesting than it is now and um to some degree that can be quite overwhelming to, to another it just provides opportunity and, and um it's 
somebody said to me once, oh, you know, how, how do you get a job like yours? And the answer is, well, it's practice. You know, that's, that's, I'm, I'm only, I'm only able to do what I do through practice and repetition. And, uh, and it's like, yeah, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Well, it's practice. And I think get out and try stuff and obviously responsible, responsible drinking. Of course. But, you know, you know, the, the pl- people, people want to, I'll go back to my point right at the start, Rob, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the generosity of other people, both with liquid and with knowledge. And that has not that has not changed in yeah. twenty years. You know, it really hasn't. And and so that's that for me is the, the the key is get out, try stuff, work out what you like, and start to hone in on what you like, and and just enjoy it and, and have it as a a point of pleasure in your life. Yeah, and the thing is, right now, everybody that you know, two thousand and seven, you couldn't have got on Instagram and sent a message or a DM to, you know, Joel Harrison or uh, Bill Lumsden. But I know that if people reach out to you. You were yeah. always good to to reply, and I think there are a lot of people 100%. in the industry that are hundred yeah. percent accessible. You know, I wouldn't say that there are any just celebrities within the industry. There are people that are very, very famous, infamous as well. But I think for the most part, you can always reach out to someone in the industry, ask a question, or at least go down a yeah. little rabbit hole of finding out that information. It's, everything is at our fingertips these days. Everything is at our fingertips, and I, I would I would caveat that by saying, you know, when you read something on the internet about whiskey just tr- try and make sure that it's from a reputable source or, or an educated source because i think there's a lot of misinformation out there a lot of uneducated information and and that's as harmful as uh, you know as the positive good education out there so just make sure when you read something look at who's written it where it's come from what the source source of that writing is and how educated the the person or the journalist or the, the writer or the author who's written it is and then if you want any questions follow up with them because you like you say rob you can get hold of people these days if you want clarity exactly. on something or you know people like i say people are so generous with their knowledge in this industry it's it's insane okay so i'm going to go back to my questioning um so with regards to the punch-up section, things that people need to be aware of, we talked about English whiskey. Yeah. Uh, is there a person that you think that more people need to be aware of within the industry that might be, uh, I guess, a little modest with their with their time or not their time, but you know, people need to give them more to, more uh, more attention just because they're so good at what they do. If I'm being really honest, I I, I think the industry's biggest celebrities or the things that need more attention are the products themselves, and I would say. Um, it's all about looking slightly beyond the obvious. So when you're looking at a, looking to find a new whiskey or a new blend, go and have a look at those products that are um, maybe on your second tier list, let's say, because there's been some amazing whiskies coming out of Scotland and England and, and, and Ireland that are not the obvious ones that you might look at. And, you know, English whiskey itself isn't, isn't necessarily an obvious one. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different style and different opportunity to try something new and, new and unusual. But I would always try and put the product first rather yeah. than people first. And I, I think just look beyond and go to, some of the, go to some of the more unusual retailers like, you know, the Whiskey Exchange or Jerry's in Soho and, and ask them and talk to them. And for me, those are the real unsung heroes are the people at the coalface who are, who are selling whiskey to people and advising people on what to buy because I think that's really, really, really hard because, you know, £30, £60, £150, £1,000 on a bottle of whiskey, they're all lots of money to people at various points in their in their spending career on whiskey and you don't want to sell some sell, sell somebody something they don't like. 
And I think no, me, I mean, they're kind of the people at the forefront, aren't they? They're the people that you yeah. have to trust the most because they're the ones you're giving your money to and will event, eventually open that bottle and know whether yeah. they made the right or the wrong decision. Correct. Correct. So we're going to we're going to highlight anyone that works in a whiskey shop because anyone the that works in a whiskey need... shop. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're trusting them with you're trusting them with your money and they have they're always like a GP, it's like a GP surgery, you know. They have to make a decision about yep. what what, you know, that your needs based on a relatively short period of time, but also they genuinely want you to come back and spend more money in their shop, not because they're greedy, but because they have a passion for what they're selling. And I think for me that is hugely important and it's a vital, vital role because you get that wrong and you've, you've lost a customer yeah. for life. You get it right and you've, got, you've gained a customer for life. And, and it so is I a would, tough job uh, yeah. as well. So, yeah. Really tough job, really, really tough job. So I would highlight those, you know, anyone at, the, anyone at any good independent whiskey retailer. And, and the other thing is there to go and explore your local whiskey retailer because most towns, certainly cities now, will have a, a, either a good independent whiskey retailer or they'll have a branch of a whiskey shop or some such go in and speak to the people who run it you know because they they yeah. are they are stocking things that are genuinely good and they want to sell you something that's genuinely good and if you're curious they'll have a bottle open and they might ask you to try it or if they're doing a tasting you know going back to what joel said about the whiskey exchange in the early days having oh. makers come to the, the shop to do a tasting that's more yeah. relevant today than it ever has been before with t shops getting in people from distilleries and you can literally hear the story directly from them so Independent whiskey retailers are the champions that everyone needs to go out and find their local whiskey shop and give it a bit of time. Yeah, yeah absolutely, and support them. And and actually, do you know what? You might find that bottle. A lot of them will have really unique and unusual selections of whiskey that you won't find anywhere else. But you might see the odd thing on a shelf that's maybe a couple of quid cheaper on an online retailer or something. But but take the risk on your local retailer because it's good to support them and it's good that they exist. Yeah, and absolutely, you know, they're absolutely. doing a really vital job in the ecosystem of, of supporting the world of whiskey. And then um, is there anywhere that you enjoy going to drink a whiskey every now and again? I mean, I mean there's so many places. I you're, you're near London, so there's hundreds of thousands. Exactly. But is there anyone where you're kind of fond where you go, yeah, you know what? It's, yes, there are a couple of places. And, and I, uh, I really, really like the Soho Whiskey Club, um, which does come with a membership fee. Um, but is worth every penny because they host tastings on a regular basis that are free for members. Uh, it's a beautiful little space. George, the, the bar manager there, again, he's like one of these retailers. He really understands the needs of, of people who come in and ask him about George is amazing. In fact, so that is a really good reminder that I'm going to give George a shout to be on this podcast because he's one of my favourite <laughs> yes, characters should. in the industry. And the way he controls a room as well, that is quite a sight whenever you get to witness yeah. that. So, uh, yeah, George yeah. at the Soho yeah. Whiskey Club is definitely worth a, a visit if you can. Yeah. If someone can take you, that's great. If you want to buy a membership, do that. But, yeah, great place. If if you if you walk in, ask for George. If he's there, he'll he'll let you sit down and have a dram. I'm sure, but you know, with a sort of test for being for for for, for membership. But you know, it's a sort of sampler for for, for for wondering if you want to be a member. But great selection, great people, really great location. They've got some outside space and a cigar terrace too, which always yep. appeals to me. That is always. But good. I would I would say, Rob, absolutely the best place I ever drink whiskey is uh, in the place it's made and. Again, going back to the start, talking about, you know, the first place I ever visited in Scotland was uh, Isla. Uh, and it just happened to be somewhere I was, you know, I wanted to go. I, I'd say I was, yes, a big Isla whiskey fan. But 
you know, it wasn't like a huge pilgrimage for me at the time, but I remember standing on the end of Lagavulin Pier drinking a Lagavulin. I remember sitting in an armchair with the wind blowing, you know, a hoolie outside drinking one of actually my favourite single malts at the moment, Bowmore, mm. which I think the quality of Bowmore is just off the scale at the moment. You know, I remember the opening day of the, of the Cotswolds Distillery. I remember uh, the commissioning day and sitting there, beautiful sunny day in the Cotswolds, you know, drinking drinking some new make and, and, and you know, thinking, wow, this is going to be special. Wherever the whiskey is made, it's yep. an incredible experience drinking that whiskey in the place that it comes from. That is a brilliant answer. Well done. Well done. All right, so we are going to wrap up now. But before we go, Joel Harrison, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Is thank there you. anything that you would like to promote, be it yourself, your work, your socials, anywhere where people can find you? <laughs> go for it. You can find me uh, on Instagram at Joel Dram, J-O-E-L-D-R-A-M. Latest book is 60 Second Cocktails, all about making cocktails quick and easy and simply at home. Uh, other than that, you'll probably find me in the Soho Whiskey Club. Or, <laughs> the or on Sunday brunch. Let's not forget that. Or on Sunday brunch, Channel 4 Sunday brunch. Yeah, yeah. next one, Father's Day, coming up Amazing. Uh, next month. But yeah, yeah, that's me. Joel, so. you're awesome. Can't wait to see you soon, uh, you and Vic. Yeah. And obviously we'll come down to Windsor and uh, we'll... We'll have a Sunday roast and open a few bottles. That'll be wonderful. But until then, thank you so much, mate. And uh, Thank you. Send my love to the Cotswolds. Of course, always. And thank you for listening to the I Want to Like Whiskey podcast. Until next time, enjoy a dram. This podcast is brought to you by Cotswolds Distillery, a grain-to-glass distillery based in the Cotswolds National Landscape, a designated area of outstanding natural beauty and the home of England's best-selling single malt whiskey. Our philosophy is simple. We make delicious spirits in a beautiful part of the world. The Cotswolds Distillery. Our spirit, your whiskey.